All right, Ephesians chapter two. All right, so we're gonna get on with this. Ephesians chapter number two. I've got this marked over here. Uh, and I'm gonna read just uh, uh, the first few verses right here. Um, <clears throat> but Ephesians chapter two, verse number one, the scripture said, uh, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit thou not, that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And um, uh, as we look at this right here, just briefly for just a few minutes, like I said, I, I, I promise you that uh, I, my intention is not to hold you entirely too long tonight. I want to make this uh, short and bite-sized so uh, that people will actually listen to it. But when we talk about depravity, so where do we even uh, begin with when we talk about human depravity? <clears throat> where does man stand with God? What uh, uh, What is his current state? <clears throat> um, uh, and where does he stand right now, um, not only... Not only from the from the cross moving forward, but from the fall of man. Where does man stand? What does depravity mean? Uh, are we totally separated from God? Are we incapacitated to the point where we can't even respond to the gospel cry? Uh, and we talk about this word depravity, and we talk about uh, the inclination of, of sin that is inborn uh, in man. We talk about human nature. We talk about sin nature. We take about, we talk about all the natures uh, of humanity. Uh, and we uh, oftentimes we posture them. We say, well, uh, that we are born with a sin nature. Uh, well, we're born with a human nature, but our human nature has been corrupted, and therefore, because of the corruption of the human nature, there's an inclination towards sin, and, and that inclination towards sin transpired at uh, at the fall in the Garden of Eden. So, uh, and it has systemically, uh, and it, it has always and always will continue. Uh, to bear itself out uh, and always uh, sustain itself within humanity uh, until the redemption of all things transpires. Uh, and that's when de- depravity will be uh, put under his feet, destroyed, uh, and all enemies will be gone. So uh, we talk about that and final consummation and finality. But now we talk about uh, I just want to back up for just a few minutes because there's so many people today. There's so many thoughts and feelings and affections on this. When we get to uh, when we did our Roman study, this was the purpose and the intention of our Roman study, especially when we started re- studying Romans chapter three, uh, and you know when we get into three, four, five, uh, really, really uh, three through eleven encompasses a lot. Uh, of this theology and where we take our stance and how we stand and how, uh, where and how we can respond to the Word of God. And that's what I want to talk about here for just a few minutes. So, uh, listen, so we get back in here into Ephesians chapter number two. We start right here in verse number one. The Bible tells this, and you hath he quickened 
who were dead in trespasses of sin. So I want to first stop and address the context of the scripture of the word of God right here. So we'll go back all the way uh, to Ephesians chapter 1. The Bible spe- uh, explicitly and specifically tells us that as he's, it begins to address Ephesians chapter 1. He's addressing those that are in Christ. So those that are in the church, those that have been saved, washed in the blood of Jesus, they're blood-bought, redeemed. Uh, these are the children of God. So the Bible says he, these have the quickened. What does that mean explicitly? Those that he has made alive who were dead in trespasses and uh, in sins. So now, friends, listen, we've got to address the topic of death. What does it mean? Uh, the Bible tells us that when uh, Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, we see uh, that the exchange uh, that transpired between uh, God and humanity, which was Adam and Eve, that was the extent of, of humanity at that uh, place and point in time. Uh, so uh, God told him, he said, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, thou shalt not eat thereof, for in the day in which thou doest, thou shalt surely die. Uh, he, did, he didn't put any restrictions. He didn't put any limitations on the tree of life. He said, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of that tree. So, friends, the Bible tells us here that we see that it was a... And I'm going to get into some philosophical concepts tonight. And this may not, uh, th- th- this uh, in, in its entirety uh, may not apply to everybody, uh, but... Uh, I'm hoping that for some people, uh, they would uh, garner something that would be edifying to them. But as we uh, look at these philosophical concepts right here, uh, when we when we use the words freedom and libertarian freedom, what does it mean to have freedom of the will? Uh, and we see where freedom of the will is established in Adam. Because Adam, uh, basically what libertarian freedom says and tells us is that man can uh, make a choice or have the opportunity that is presented to him that he can choose to or not to. Uh, it, listen, if there is if there is an inclination within him, uh, that he possesses within himself that he can make a choice to or not to, that constitutes libertarian freedom. That constitutes a basis of freedom, freedom of the will. So now we understand that we as humanity, we, that we are the Imago Dei. What does that mean? That means that we are imagers of God, that we are image bearers of God. So the Bible tells us that he came and he made us image bearers of God. And so we are image bearers of God. Then we see the establishment of libertarian freedom, freedom of the will that was established in the Garden of Eden. And when we see that establishment, now we need to understand something. Once the scripture establishes a philosophical concept and it applies then Uh, and thereafter into our theological perception. So then we have this understanding of the word of God that we have freedom of the will that we can choose to or we can choose not to. It's the same thing. The same principle applies to God himself. God could have created and he did create, but he could not have created. Uh, That's the establishment of libertarian freedom. Uh, It means that we can or we cannot. So, friends, listen, and it means that there is not something uh, external to us, external to us, that is determining uh, what we do, ask, think, or say. So, friends, listen, we are the ultimate first mover. Uh, We are, listen, God is the first mover uh, in respect to creation. We are the first mover uh, in in respect to logic and thought and reasoning. Uh, So, friends, listen, when we make a choice, that is, uh, that choice is not being forced on us. That for, now, the circumstances that, uh, that, 
that drove us to make that decision. Yes, they can be influenced. They have been and they will be and they will continue to be influenced. That's not the point of discussion. The point of discussion is, is that we establish a plane where man has the freedom of the will. And what is the freedom of the will? Uh, what does that do for us? And and this is where I'm, I'm, I'm pressing on as we get into Ephesians chapter uh, 2 over here. But we get to a point where the Bible tells us, that once we have a, a, philosophical, a philosophical and a theological construct, once we have an idea established in the Word of God, then, friends, listen, uh, it is on the burden. The burden then is transferred to the Word of God to conclude that it ceases or has ended or has been fulfilled and reinstituted in some fashion. Uh, form or fashion what uh, give us give me an example of that preacher listen so we see the old covenant we see the tabernacle we see uh, the, uh, the 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 giving of sacrifices and offerings and all the things that were entailed and inquired uh, so then we see that that was uh, all byproducts of the first Adam and then we see that the second Adam which is defined to us in first Corinthians chapter number 15 the second came uh, and he fulfilled and he consummated all these things and because he consummated all these things we can't have a, a, a a, a testament without a testator so that was his purpose that was his intention and that's what the bible talks about he said i came not to destroy the law but to fulfill it so in fulfilling the law that gave him the authority therefore to bring closure to one uh, and and open another and because of that, we see that uh, in the text. Uh, listen, we don't have to hold that intention in the text. The text tells us that we it was established one day, one way. We had a fulfillment in our Savior, the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he fulfilled those things, it, it gave him the possession and power uh, because he had made redeemed all things. And when he redeemed all things, it gave him authority and power. I listened to reinstitute a New Testament, which is the gospel age that we live in. That's just a comparative uh, as we move through this. And, and, and listen, I really want to make this short and bite-sized that way that people will listen to this. So the Bible says, uh, and you hath he quickened, he hath made alive, who were dead in trespasses and in sins. So friends, listen, we've, we find here. So what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden? Adam and Eve had a choice. They could eat or not eat. They chose to eat. And in and, and, and choosing to eat, they uh, the Bible tells us that, listen, they did not lose knowledge. There's a lot of people think that, that sin has brought, the, uh, listen, has, has made us, has regressed our intellect. But that's not what the scripture said. He told me, he said, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, their eyes were opened. They were enlightened. They were enlightened to their fallen state. What constituted their fallen state is because it was disobedience to God. They had been disobedient to the command of God. And because of their disobedience, uh, listen, the Bible tells us that we first have the institution of spiritual death. They did not die physically immediately, but they did die spiritually there was a separation immediate separation that had uh, that was spawned uh, between humanity and God and and the separation and the and the great chasm that stands in between them is the enmity or the sin of man the violation of the disobedience of God's command that is what stood between and what stands today between humanity uh, and God 
So we see uh, we see these things in the Word of God, and because we see these things in the Word of God, when Adam and Eve gained knowledge, uh, listen, when they gained this knowledge, and I believe that we can probably give some credence uh, to Romans chapter number 7, where Paul addresses, he said, I once was alive without the law, the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. Uh, friends, listen to me. Uh, so friends, uh, and I also want to say this, and I know I'm talking fast and moving fast, uh, so listen fast, amen? Uh, <clears throat> but the Bible tells us, uh, in Romans chapter number five, uh, the scripture tells us, and we've talked about this to a great extent. I'm not going to press on this and spend a lot of time in it. It says, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, Romans 5, 12, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So friends, listen, we see therefore uh, we have the constitution uh, of not only spiritual death and separation and the enmity uh, that has been derived because of man's disobedience and therefore humanity uh, in, in a whole and as a uh, in a nutshell, uh, we are uh, we have violated the law and the liberty of God, uh, and therefore uh, every fiber and morsel of our being has been touched by the propensity of sin, uh, and we have an inclination and a bend toward sin. So. Uh, we say all that, and then we see where the Bible tells us. Now, listen, we have to read in this, and and, uh, and, and I'm going to tell you something. So, listen, there's a lot of people say, well, uh, freedom of the will was lost after that. Well, listen, if freedom of the will was lost or surrendered, then why did God, why did God uh, exile them from the Garden of Eden? God exiled them from the Garden of Eden so they could not choose to eat of the tree of life. For if they had chosen to eat of the tree of life in their sin, they would have been habitually and eternally exiled from the presence of God. And there would have been no uh, redeemable qualities possible. So, friends, listen, there wouldn't have been a hope and a promise uh, for a, a Savior that could bring redemption to fallen humanity. So, friends, listen, why do we need libertarian freedom? Why do we need to establish the fact that we have freedom of the will? Why do we need to establish this? Because God wants a people that love him. God wants a people that are, because we are uh, image bearers of God, he wants to have a true love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, now listen, does he have the authority? Does he have the superiority? Does he have the sovereignty? Does he have the providence uh, to uh, mandate every meticulous molecule, air, human being. Yes, he does. He is God. Friends, listen, uh, <clears throat> a man that I listen to a lot, uh, he, he gives a, a wonderful analogy of a chessboard. Uh, and he says, uh, whose God do you think is more sovereign? Uh, if you have, uh, listen, if he is the master opponent of chess, uh, is a God in this view uh, is our God the God who plays both sides of the chess table? Or is our God uh, the one who knows how to orchestrate, who knows how to drive? Can he change the hearts of kings? Absolutely. Can he change the hearts of man? Absolutely. Can he intervene through special revelation like he did uh, with Paul on the road to Damascus? Yes, absolutely. Uh, can he raise up a man out of the midst of nowhere? And I'll get to Philip in the eunuch in just a few minutes. Uh, because it, 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 it speaks to this. Uh, but Francis, uh, can he raise up a person out of the midst of nowhere 
and send them to a place where a person is seeking more counsel. Absolutely, Philip and the eunuch is a testament of these things. But listen, what I say, what I was getting to is the establishment of libertarian freedom. Uh, so, friends, listen, if you ever have a philosophical or a theological concept that is ever constructed, and you have clear evidence that it exists, when it exists in Adam, uh, listen, the burden of proof is then placed uh, on the Word of God to exonerate it, to fulfill it, or to change it. So, friends, listen, we can understand this one thing. Immediately after they uh, 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 partake of the forbidden fruit, what is that forbidden fruit? Is an actual fruit. I'm not here how to discuss if that was physically a fruit uh, or not tonight, but I can tell you this. Uh, that fruit was the, was the seed of disobedience. Uh, was that figurative language? I don't know, and I'm not even here to discuss that and talk about it. Not, in all honesty, it's not even worth arguing about. <clears throat> it's a good talking point. It's a good Bible study uh, topic. But, friends, listen, we don't need to uh, split hairs over, the, over, over those specific things. But we understand that through their disobedience that they were exiled from the Garden of Eden. Because they were exiled from the Garden of Eden, uh, why were they exiled? Because they had the choice. Because libertarian freedom, the construct of libertarian freedom, theologically and philosophically, uh, that was established, was not undone. So, friends, listen, once we have that construct that is not undone, we need to carry that through the fruition of the Word of God. Now, we need to understand what that implication is on the Word of God. So the Bible says, you hath he quickened. He is made alive who were dead in trespasses of sin. So, friends, listen, when we understand death, what is death? What does it mean to be spiritually dead? Uh, death uh, spiritually is a separation. It is enmity. It is sin, holistically. Uh, friends, listen, it is where we are separated, uh, and we cannot. Listen, you need to understand that sin has separated us. Humanity so far from God that it is literally impossible. That it, 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 uh, listen, that impasse cannot be overcome. Uh, friends, there's no possible way that humanity can get to God without a reconciliation. And this is where the fundamental importance of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes into play. So, friends, listen, uh, and I'm probably going to mention a couple things in First Peter, uh, uh, and I'll get to that in just a minute. I'm trying uh, to go fast enough, but not too fast. So what does it mean to be dead? There's a lot of people say, well, uh, listen, they, they have a different theological construct, and they'll say, well, dead means like Lazarus dead. A dead man cannot do anything. He cannot respond uh, to anything. He cannot help himself. They say that humanity today, that it only seeks uh, and it only wants its greatest desire. And if we only want and seek our greatest desire, uh, listen, then we start wrapping in the text where it says that we're children of wrath, that we are disobedient, that none seek God. Uh, listen, that there's none righteous. No, not one. You say, well, preacher, those are scriptures. Those are texts. Don't you believe those? Yes, emphatically. Amen. Those are the word of God. Man has never sought God. Uh, listen, friends, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, uh, listen, there is none righteous. No, not one. There, uh, Listen, for the wages of sin is death. I I'm telling you something, friends. Listen, those are absolute, teetotally absolute facts contained within the canon of Scripture. They, can't, they are irrefutable. There is not a good part about us. There is a bend in the inclination. Sin has touched every single part of humanity. And because sin has touched every single fiber, morsel, and being of humanity, every inclination, and we have a vast propensity towards sin. So, you're, st you're telling me, uh, so, preacher, you're telling me that we cannot be an, I preached on this Wednesday night, last Wednesday night, if you remember. 
Friends, listen, we we are not initiators. God is always the initiator. I've told this story before. Uh, 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 <coughs> Uh, it's an it's a parable and it's an analogy and I know at some point that all analogies break down but bear with me tonight uh, as we look at uh, at a picture of salvation uh, we can see where where salvation uh, is propagated to us in, uh, in the fact of this and I'm gonna lay this analogy down uh, you take a child and you put him at the bottom of the set of stairs you the father you the mother whoever you are in this representation or this analogy you go to the top of the stairs uh, and, and you give the decree and the command, you must get to me. Uh, you must get to me from the bottom of the steps to the top of the steps. But these are the parameters that you have to reach me. You can't touch the stairs. You can't touch the handrail. You can't touch the wall. You can't crawl. But you have to get from the bottom to the top. Friends, listen to me. And when we realize this, there is no impasse. There's no possible and feasible way for the child that's at the bottom of the stairs to get to the top without physically touching the handrails, physically moving up the steps, crawling up the walls. There is no possible, there is no, listen, our minds can't even comprehend a way that that is possible. But friends, listen, and if you do this thought experiment, if you do it with the children, this is a good uh, good thing to do at Vacation Bible School. Uh, but friends, listen, you get to this and you say, you have to get to me. How can you get to me? And they try and they flip and flatter and they'll do all kinds of things uh, in an attempt to get to them. But friends, listen, they finally come to the realization that the only way that they can get from the bottom to the top is from the Father to come from the top Pick them up and carry them to the top. You see, you see, friends, listen, this is the constitution of the word of God. There is nothing that humanity can do to get to God. We can't get anywhere. But friends, listen, what we can do. So we need to understand, we need to understand that dead does not mean incapacitated. Dead does not mean we cannot hear. Dead does not mean that we cannot see. Dead does not mean that we cannot feel uh, in our hearts. So friends, listen, we need to understand that we have an initiator and his initiation is God. Friends, listen, we read this and we talk about this at great length. We see in Romans chapter number one. Uh, and we've quoted this uh, a multitude of times. But when we get to this, the Bible tells us right here in Romans chapter 1, he said, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal uh, power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You see, God has sought us in creation. God has sought us in the cross. God has sought us in the word of God. God has sought us uh, in his vicarious life. God has sought us in his Christus victor on, through the cross of Calvary. God has uh, has sought us uh, because he is our propitiatory, uh, propitiatory sacrifice. God has sought us in the ascension. God has sought us uh, in the resurrection. God has sought us through the spirit. God is constantly reaching. He he is grabbing. He is yearning. He is wooing according to the word of God. He is the initiator. So a lot of people today, they go through this life and they go through this world and they say, well, God has not moved on me. God has not sought me. That's an absolute bold-faced lie. God has sought. God has promised. Amen. He said, all that come to me shall be saved. The Bible tells us in John chapter, or St. John chapter 3. 
Verse number 18, he said, For he is not condemned who believeth not, but he is condemned. Uh, 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 he that believes is condemned not, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed upon the only begotten Son, of, uh, the, only begotten son uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, friends, listen, we, we, we don't. One thing, there, there's a term that we use, an equivocation. Uh, so when we people equivocate, being dead in trespasses of sin is also implying that we don't have the capacity, responsibi- uh, responsibility, or the ability to respond to the gospel call. And that uh, is never established in the Word of God. What we must understand right here, uh, now uh, listen, ha- y- uh, you hath he met alive, he hath quickened, who were dead. Was I dead? Are, uh, were you dead before you were saved? Absolutely. Yes. Amen. I'm not here uh, to split hairs over whether or not the Word of God says what it says. Amen. Because it does say it. It says, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the uh, to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Right? Listen to verse number three. We're going to talk about this just briefly. Among whom also... We had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires, fulfilling the desires, uh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Amen. That's why uh, that's why Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Uh, friends, listen, uh, it is a whole transformation. And I'm not going to, uh, you can go back and listen to Romans chapter number 12 if you want to hear me talk about transformation and the metamorphosis. But the Bible speaks of us here. It says, uh, uh, listen, the past, uh, uh, the conversation in times past and the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Friends, listen, and like I said, we've already established the fact. Listen, that by nature, humanity has been touched by sin, and therefore our nature is corrupt. We have a bend and an inclination towards sin. We can't get to God. We can't initiate our salvation. There's a lot of people say, well, preacher, you're just a synergist. You believe that if God reaches down, that I have to reach up. Friends, listen to me. I'm going to tell you something. God reaches down to us. All we have to do is respond. That's what Peter did. We have scriptural context for that. The Bible tells us, now listen, you say, well, does that apply to salvific things? Well, I believe it applies as good as any. Amen. Listen, when Peter stepped out of the ship and he seen the Lord walking on the sea, and he said, Lord, if that is you, bid me to come unto thee. And he said, well, come. So the scripture tells us here that Peter stepped out of the boat, uh, and he began to proceed and, and, and make his way to Jesus. And when he began to proceed and make his way to Jesus, the Bible tells us that he began to look to the left and the right before and behind. And he seen uh, the great boisterous winds and waves and all the swells that were surrounding him. He took his eyes off Christ and he began to sink. And when he began to sink, the Bible tells us that he cried with a voice and he said, Lord, save me. Uh, now, listen, I'm going to tell you something. He knew Jesus was there. He knew Jesus had initiated. Jesus initiated. Amen. <laughs> Jesus initiated because he showed himself present. So I'm going to tell you something, friends. Listen, he always is the initiator. He always comes. He always seeks. Amen. Right, friends, listen to me. I'm telling you something. We, we have reached an impasse uh, with a lot of people today. And I believe that there are a multitude and multitude of people uh, that are being deceived into, and, they're, and they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting. But I, I can't for the life of me understand what they're waiting on. Now, friends, listen to me. 
I want to say this, uh, and quickly in closing here in just a few minutes. I, I promise, maybe 10 more minutes. But we get to this over here. A lot of people say, well, preacher, are, are, are you saying or preaching that somebody can get saved anytime they want to get saved? What I'm telling you, no, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is this. Friends, listen to me. In Romans chapter 1, we see the creation. Is that enough to save us? No. But it is enough to, listen, that is the initiation. Uh, that is the initiator calling us to the creator. Amen. Uh, and when we seek that light, God will send more light. Uh, and listen, when we seek that light, God will send more light. Aren't you glad, friends? Listen, Philip and the eunuch, the Bible tells us that, and I told you I was going to mention this a few minutes ago. Philip and the eunuch, he's sitting up in the chariot, Queen of Candace. Uh, friends, listen, he's possessing the Old Testament passage of Isaiah chapter 53. He is reading through. He is earnestly studying. He is seeking. He is searching uh, for the truths of God's word. Uh, friends, listen to me. And we find there that he reached a point uh, that, uh, listen, the Bible tells us that, that God called a Philip out of a great revival. He picked him up and he set him down in the midst of, uh, uh, listen, in the midst of the, uh, the desert in the presence of the Ethiopian. Uh, and the Bible says that he come up and he made himself and he pulled up himself uh, next to the chariot. He said, I understand it's what thou readest. The, the, the eunuch responded with this. How can I, lest some man should guide me? Aren't you glad, friends, listen to me. Adrian Rogers said this many, many years ago. He said, I believe if there was somebody that is hungry for the word of God and for the gospel, and they are seeking the Lord Jesus Christ, God will, listen, he will crash an airplane, uh, listen, and he will parachute a missionary in to preach the gospel to him. And I believe that, friends, listen, God will provide. Uh, listen, there is not one soul, there is not one soul in this world that will respond positively uh, to God's gospel call and his attempt to save. Now listen to me. There's not one person in this world that will respond positively to that, that God will not provide them the gospel and provide them a way of escape through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. How is that possible? He is God. Amen. That's why and how it's possible. Uh, friends, listen. So the Bible tells us now, let me finish this up with, the, with, with Philip and the unit. <clears throat> Philip said, uh, understands what thou readest. He said, how can, uh, how can I unless some man guide me? And the Bible tells us that he took, uh, listen, the 53rd chapter of Isaiah and he preached unto him Jesus. Amen. Uh, listen, and the Bible tells us that they went along and along and the Bible tells us that they began to have another conversation. And, and <laughs> the eunuch said, what doth hinder me from being baptized? To believe that thou believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Uh, listen, there's water. What doth hinder me? Uh, friends, listen, I, I, I'm telling you, friends, tonight, can you get saved anytime you want to? No, you can't get saved anytime you want to. Listen, you have to respond to the light that's given. And when you respond to the light that's given, God will give more light. This is a process. You know what this process is called? It's called conviction. And friends, listen, there is a finality and a culmination to conviction. I'm going to tell you something. Listen, I didn't understand this at eight years old when I got saved. Amen. I, I, listen, and I don't fully and, and finally understand it, uh, listen, like I would like to today. But I can tell you this. God was seeking me. Conviction was working on me. The gospel came to me. Calvary was accessible to me. Uh, friends, listen, but there was a day at Beulah Baptist Church in Hendersonville, North Carolina, there was a day when conviction finished. Amen. When conviction finished her work, when she finished her work, I seen myself separated from the presence and the righteousness and the holiness of God. And when, when listen, when, conven when conviction finished, 
Amen. That's the point in time when I realized my condition, just as Philip did, or just as the eunuch did, just as Cornelius did. For instance, we have, we have reports of this all through the Word of God. Friends, listen, and when I realized the fullness of conviction that day, when, 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 when I realized that, my eyes were enlightened, my eye, uh, my mind and my intellect, what I'd been seeking and, uh, and yearning for was finished. I'm glad that I had the ability, even though I were dead, I had the ability to respond to his gospel call. That is where responsibility, what, is that, what does responsibility mean? It means able to respond. Right? I, I, I can tell you, it means able to respond. I'm telling you something, friends and I, uh, listen, this, this, this construct and concept that we are so depraved and we are so wicked that we cannot even respond is not textually defined. Um, but friends, I'm going to tell you something we need to understand. Yes, we are dead. Yes, sometimes we walk according to the course of this world. Yes, we are children of wrath. I, I'm going to go back over here. I, I want to make sure I hit all these texts. Because a lot of people, uh, when you say something, they say, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? Well, I'm on, I'm, amen, let's get them all. <clears throat> Listen, uh, Romans chapter number 3, verse number 10, as it's written, there's none righteous. No, no one. Do you believe that, preacher? Absolutely. Yes, there's none righteous. And there's not one of us righteous. The Bible tells us and bears witness to this in Romans chapter, or Revelation chapter number 5. The Bible says he sought the heavens, the earth, and beneath the earth. There was none found worthy to open the book, neither loose the seven seals thereof. Friends, listen to me. We are all vile. There is a bend and inclination towards sin. You cannot save yourself. We are not the initiators of our salvation. Listen to me. I'm glad that he is the initiator of our salvation, that he has sought us, that he has saved us, and he keeps us. Amen. As is written, there's no righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. Amen. Would you concede to that, preacher? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. How can... Did you not hear what the, the eunuch's response was? Philip asking the question, Understandest what thou readest? He said, How can I? Amen. Uh, friends, listen to me. I'm telling you, it takes the revelation, the fullness and the finality of conviction to come to fruition and come to pass. Amen. Uh, friends, listen to me. But it does not constitute that God has to regenerate somebody and make them alive to confess that they once were dead. I'm telling you, a dead man makes a confession by faith and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is then quickened by the Holy Spirit when his belief is finalized, and he is then made righteous and imputed righteousness through our Savior, the Son, Jesus Christ. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. I'm telling you something, friends. Boy, I, uh, do you believe that preacher? Yes, absolutely. I'm glad that he sought us. How did he seek us? Listen, just keep reading through this right here. <clears throat> they are all gone out of the way. They are uh, together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulchre, and their tongues they have used to seek. Uh, the poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. 
Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there is no flesh, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So, friends, listen, Paul is tying the knot to the Old Testament ties right here. He's telling us that through the law, what does the law bring? The law brings the revelation of sin. And because of the revelation of sin, we are all wicked. We are all separated. We, we don't understand. We don't seek. There is none righteous. But read verse 21. But now the righteousness of the righteousness of God without the law was manifested, being witnessed by the law in the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Listen to this, verse 22. This is an important verse. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What is the separating differentiating factor? Those that believe and confess that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He is the only begotten, eternal begotten of the Father. Uh, listen, and He is uh, the uh, He is the Redeemer of our... Listen, I've said this multitudes of times. Christ is not the answer to sin. Christ is the Redeemer of sin. There's an important distinction there, friends. Listen, I'm telling you something. We need to understand. We need to come to the culmination of fruition and understanding. I'm friends, listen to me. That listen, he's not a response. He's not an answer. He is the redeemer. He is the Savior. He is the Son of God. He is eternal. Amen. I, listen, and I quote this verse all the time, and I'm going to wind this thing up because I can keep going on and on, and I want to make it short enough and bite-sized enough, and I'll probably go back and listen to this uh, later when I'm done with this. Uh, and, and, and I may pick up and do uh, another part uh, on this. But First Peter chapter 1, verse number 18, one of my favorite texts. And if you know me, you know that it is. For as much as you know you're not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, without spot, who, ver- who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in the last times for you. Amen. He was slain before the foundation of the world. Uh, 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 preacher, uh, we don't seek God. That's right. He sought us before the foundation of the world. Amen. He has. Uh, this world was constituted on a uh, uh, on a savior who would seek humanity, uh, and, and, and and a humanity who has the ability to respond to his plea of righteousness and forgiveness. God bless you tonight. We love you. I hope the Lord watches over you and keeps you.